I want to talk to you as we continue this message series. We started last Sunday on the game of life with today's message, part two of the mind of a winner. How many know in life you're not born to win? You've got to choose to win. That's why the scriptures say, choose you this day whom you serve. And as we choose to win, before we become winners, we have to think we can win. So the Bible says, let the mind be in you that's in Christ the Lord. Last Sunday, we started that off with a wonderful thought on deciding what you want. And after deciding what you want, don't fear failure. And after you live in a place of failure, you get up and you try again. And you are not dictated by your past. As a matter of fact, you need to learn from it, but don't stay in it and do what God's called you to do. And he has a wonderful future. But today is part two of that. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust, because he trusts in you. I love that scripture because God says, not only will I give you peace, but I'll give you perfect peace. How many of you know in a day of trouble or in a world that's gone crazy, we need the perfect peace of Almighty God. So let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. I thank you today that we can trust you and not live in fear, but we can absolutely be victorious because we start off with thinking right, which will result in living right. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, and turn to the other one and say, ho, and then sit down. Then I was going to start a rap, but I wasn't going to go there. But I do have Chris, I do have a, a plazo meter that we started last Sunday. So in this month, I think I need to start it off with the plazo meter so you can understand what the anointing truly sounds like. So you got to join them to get it up there. Let's go. Come on. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. There you go. That's pretty good. That's all right. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, I know it's getting fantastic. Oh, let's get it to anointed. Oh, yeah. That's it. There you go. Take a lesson. So I want you to think about it. You're like, and stop. No, don't stop. If I share something good with you, if it's something that edifies and lifts you up and lifts up the Lord, I want you to give the Lord a shout of praise and a cheer because this is his house. We're not uh, pastoring any dead, wimpy people that have no, uh, no, no desire, no passion. We're not apathetic in here. We don't live in apathy in here. We're people of faith. We're victorious people. So we need to act like it. We need to think like it. We need to talk like it. So I want, I like that, Chris, keep that there. But I want you to think about this. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. But I want you to think about this because I think you have to realize in life, you have to really, really decide what you want. And it all starts with your mind. It's the battlefield for the mind. I saw the news recently about people and they're so in hysteria over this coronavirus. And I said, yeah, there is a virus. It's called too much corona. It's too much El, el Drinkio. It's, it's not this virus that they're talking about. And I heard one commentary. They literally were telling you to stay home, don't go to church. And I thought, well, you shouldn't go to the studio and get on camera. 
They're telling you don't do this, don't do that, while they're doing the opposite. But to put it in perspective for you, because we shouldn't be people of uh, fear, we should be people that live in faith. As a matter of fact, you should take it a little further and do your part. We need to be, you know, do our part to, you know, be clean and safe. But you ought to do that anyway. You ought to do, you ought to live like that anyway, not just because some potential harm or threat comes. But to put it in perspective for you, because as of today, just to put things in perspective, as of March 2020, just think about this, 3,600 people have worldwide died, unfortunately, from this coronavirus, including 19 Americans. As tragic as that is 3,600 people, 19 Americans. But during this same period of time from January until March 2020, 12,740 Americans, not worldwide, Americans have died from opioid abuse. So think about it. That's 360% of Americans have died of an overdose than people who have died from some so-called pandemic of a virus. So it's all in your perspective. But you have to realize your virus that you're thinking of is not a virus of this thing or that thing. It's the mind virus. It's the virus of the mind. It infects you and you don't even realize it infected you and it creates limited beliefs limited beliefs like I'm flawed, I can't, I'm bad, I'm not worthy. And that virus is more deadly than any flu virus because what you fear can destroy you. That's why the scriptures say God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. You're to do your part. You're to be safe. You know, you, you have to do what you're, what you're in your ability. But God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but one of what? Love, power, and a sound mind. That power in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. Dynamite power that God's given you to overcome all forms of fear. How about love? God is love. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts while we were at our worst. He died for us. That's God's love and a sound mind. A mind that's not racing with unsolicited thoughts, a mind that's not overwhelmed by this thing or that thing or this disease or that thing, a mind that's not racing and just rampant, always continually to go and not living in peace. Because what you fear can come upon you. How many of you know that the fear of certain things in my house, it's all women and they have an arachnophobia of spiders. I mean, the other day I heard them, ah, come in here, daddy. And that was Jennifer. Come in here. And all of a sudden I came in there. She goes, there's a spider. It's this big. This spider was like this big. This is a tiny little spider. I'm going to run out of here if you don't kill that spider. And I go, I don't kill things around here. I'm a humanitarian. What I do is I collect them gently and I take them out. I don't do that. I'm sorry. I actually killed the spider and I took it out. But my point is that you thought I was nice like that. I don't get down like that. It wasn't a big spider, though, but it's the fear of these spiders. Many people have a fear of public speaking. I'm the first to tell you I fear public speaking because I'm an introvert. I don't like public speaking. I don't like doing this, but God's called me to do it. But it's not like I enjoy. Give me a microphone. Let me show you the anointing. I don't have that thought process like crazy people do. When people say, I want a microphone or I want a platform, you have to be very careful of that because it's a lot easier. Now, think about this. The first service didn't get this, but you're a lot better than the first service. But it's a lot easier to grow weeds than plants. It's true. Your mind works the same way. Negative thoughts will sprout up and strangle positive thoughts. 
That's why you have to decide what you want, but you can't live in fear. Reminds me of a story of a railroad yardman. His name was Nick. And Nick had a prevailing fear. He lived in worry that one day that he would be locked in one of those refrigeration cars off the train track. Nick and his fellow workmen got along well together. And one afternoon, they were told by the foreman that they could leave an hour early because it was the foreman's birthday. Nick, the notorious worrier, bound by fear, he accidentally got locked in one of those refrigerator cars that was on the yard for service. What he had feared had come upon him. He screamed and he cried and he banged on the side of the door until his fists were bloody nubs. Fear overwhelmed Nick to the point he thought he's going to freeze to death. He gathered a cardboard box that had been laying on the floor. He wrapped himself in the cardboard box and he scrolled on the cardboard, quote, so cold, freezing to death. These may be my last words, end of quote. The next morning when the crew came back to work, they opened up the doors of that refrigerator car box and they found Nick's body. The autopsy revealed that Nick had every sign that he had froze to death in that refrigerator box car. But the problem was that box car never got above or below 61 degrees. And there was plenty of air in that box car. Nick's fears had become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's what Job says, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. Some of you right now at the sound of my voice, you live in fear that what if he walks out on me? What if she walks out on me? What if I get diagnosed with this? What if, what if I come down with that? What if I lose my son? What if I lose my daughter? What if I lose my job? And this fear overwhelms you. That's why the two words Jesus used in his ministry were fear not. Fear not. I love that. He said, fear not. Let's say it together. Fear not. What he says is, in effect, fear not financial loss. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I provide for you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, wells you did not dig. He'll restore what Satan's taken from you and give it back to you seven times over. Fear not. How about fear not sickness? I am the great physician. I'm the one who gives the power to receive healing. Fear not. Fear not death. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm telling you today, you're not to fear. Oh, look at you. You're not to fear. Oh, they got it up there for you. I wasn't quite done, but I'll still roll with it. Fear not. <laughs> Don't fear. How about powers and principalities and darkness? I've already conquered Satan. I've already conquered death. I've already conquered hell. I've already conquered the grave. Fear not. Fear not what this old world can do. You're not of this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. Fear has to fall before the fortress of faith. Have faith in God. Have faith in his word. Fear not, says the Lord. I'm with you. Now let's give the Lord a hand clap and a shout of praise. That's pretty good. But not only the mind of a winner is never conquered by fear, you have to start thinking differently before you'll ever live differently. What they do in church when people come to church, like when I shared that first thought today for many of you receiving the Lord, people will usually come with a religious bent and say, now you got to live right. Now you got to do this, you don't do that. Now you got to say this, don't say that. But that's not how it goes. You'll never live right until you start to think right. As a man or woman thinketh, so are they. You have to think you can before you ever can accomplish anything. 
So the mind of the winner is never mastered by fear, but they're also never mastered by resentments because it's important to realize all of us face resentment. All of us face betrayal. All of us face discouragement. It's not what happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. So the mind of a winner is never mastered by resentments. You and I are not responsible for the things that happen to us, but we are responsible for what happens in us. It's been told that the ship that's in the sea is not the problem. But when the sea gets in the ship, then you've got yourself a problem. And you can live life one of three ways. You can resent it. You can resign yourself to it. Or you can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You have to decide how you're going to live your life. You can resent the things that have happened to you. You can resign to it and say, this is how life has been for me. This is my family. This is generational. I'm just going to live in this thing and that thing and live life in despair or you can do what the scriptures say rejoice in the Lord forevermore and again I say rejoice it's easy to bless God when all the bills are paid the kids are doing good and everything's hunky-dory but when all hell breaks loose when everything gets turned upside down when this thing's coming against you and this thing's coming against you when you really want to experience God's supernatural power in all things give him thanks whether you understand the principle of not I trust him in all things. Lift up your head and said, Father, I don't understand the why. I don't understand why I'm doing the will of God. Things have come against me. But I know you're too loving to be unkind. You're too wise to make a mistake. And I know the best is yet to come. That dusty road has a promise down that road. I'm going to lean on that promise. I'm not going to quit. I shall win. The victory's mine through Christ the Lord. I think there's something so important about being a person that doesn't live in resentment. Because if you live in resentment, you're going to be like an emotional roller coaster. You're going to be up one day, you're going to be down the next. You're always going to be living by what other people think about you and what you think about yourself. Because you live in a place of resentment. You often hear people say, and I've heard it throughout my many years of ministry, they say, well, Joey, whether it's a male or female, they say things like, I, I just can't handle it. My life is it's out of control. And I'm angry as a result. My life is out of control. My home is out of control. Everything is out of control. But let's think about that statement for a moment. Is it really out of control? Let's look at the facts. You control what you do with your free time. When you go home, you can control your thoughts. Your thoughts will control your destiny and your future. You can control your attitude, can't you? For the Bible says, as a man or woman thinketh, so are they. You can control your tongue. The Bible says that tongue is set on fire from hell. You can choose to remain silent or you can choose to speak. You can choose to post that because you think that's going to cause this thing and that thing. Or you can choose to let that thing go. You can choose to speak, and when you choose to speak, you can choose the words. You can choose the tone of your words. That's why I don't send out lots of emails, because you can't see my, my awesome facial features. You can't see my concerned face. You can't see my sad face. You can't see my happy face. You can't see my prayerful face. 
Those can't be expressed in emojis and in emails and text messages. So I have to choose my words, and I have to choose the tone of my words, how I'm going to share it, how I'm going to explain it. I can choose to speak, but I can choose how I speak and when I speak and where I speak. I can choose to start a fight, or I can choose to enjoy the day. You know, that's true, isn't it? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. You can choose what you want to do, how you want to. There is amazing to me when people post something and say, I dare you to post this. Like they want to start fights. Like they want to start controversy. The Bible tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. Like they want to cause trouble. Only if you had post this five times, I dare you to share it, dot, dot, dot. And what you don't realize is you are putting off the wrong vibe like you want to fight. And what you need to realize, there's not a mechanism in us for a fight other than the fight, the good fight of faith. When you start fighting other people's battles and the battles of this world, you're going to lose that fight. The fight you and I need to fight is the fight that starts right here. What we're thinking about. Everything that's good. Everything that's honorable. Everything that's praiseworthy. If it has good report. Things that have good report. People that have good report. People that talk to you about other people will talk to other people about you. You need to understand that. When people come and say, I heard that, but if they talk to you about other people, they, by golly, will talk to other people about you. You need to be careful who you associate with and what type of people you're around to get infected and the virus in your mind. Do not be controlled by resentment. Resentment of yourself or the resentment of other people. I can't tell you how many times throughout the years people will come and say, well, Joey, get, you got to get involved because this is coming against me and you got to fight this battle for me. And I've always tried to say, no, I'm not fighting anything. We'll pray about everything until it's my fight, until God tells me to fight for it. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit fight that battle. What's the point I'm making? Some of you have gotten to fights. You are not designed to win. You are designed to win in this game of life, but it starts right here in the mind. Do not be consumed with resentment. Let it go. If people are living their life and they're resentful of this or that, don't deal with them anymore. The Bible says, shun those who cause discord. That's in the home. That's in the church. That's with other people. Do you notice discord never comes in Satan's name? Do you understand that discord always comes in Jesus' name? Don't you know it always comes in the name of the family? in the name of those who you love, in the name of those who have access to you. Don't you know how that works? Nobody's going to come out of side blue air and think that they're going to cause offense with you. It's always going to be people that have access to you. So you have to win this battle for the mind and not live in a place of resentment and never be consumed with greed. There's two distinct variables in this message today when it comes to greed. Listen to Isaiah 56, 11. They're like greedy dogs who never have enough. How many of you know people live their life that way? They're constantly wanting more. They need more of this. They need more of that. They need more of this thing, more of that thing. And they're, they're like the, the spirit of this world. The scriptures call it the spirit of mammon. It's the spirit of, of what we call the, the, I gotta have the American dream. The American dream is driven by greed. I got to get this thing. I got to get that thing. I got to keep up with this person. And I got I to blow away that person. And you can be like that, consumed with this thing of never having enough. Or you can be on the opposite spectrum where the Apostle Paul says, having food and having raiment, therefore let us be content. Which one of those are you? 
The one screaming for more. I got to get this. I got to get that. God wants to give you houses. He wants you to give you vineyards. He wants you to give you wells that you didn't dig. He wants to give you all those things, but he doesn't want those things to have you. He wants you to have the blessings of the Lord that make rich and out of no sorrow. But he doesn't want you to be consumed with this thing called greed. The point is, God has already given you everything you need to succeed. The miracle's already on the inside of you. Everything you need to have a great home, a great life, a great marriage, a great relationship, a great business, a great job. It's already there on the inside. You say, well, Joey, it can't be because I don't have this. I don't have that. I need this and I need that, but you have to wait upon the Lord. Start renewing your mind, trusting him that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. Because you might find something's waiting for you, pursuing the wrong things that will cause you poverty that you've never even dreamed of. Reminds me of this true story that I read some time ago. This story is an amazing story to me. And it's about a farmer who lived by the river Endes in 1870. And this farmer who owned a beautiful farm, the farm had orchards and grain fields and beautiful gardens. This farmer was considered in those days wealthy and truly he was content until the night a priest came over and stayed the night with him. And the priest told him about diamonds, diamonds that would put his children on the throne of other countries around the world. Diamonds where he could buy many farms, farms a lot larger and more beautiful than the one he currently owned. That night, that farmer went to bed now a poor man, poor because he was now discontented for the first time for what he had been given. He'd been overwhelmed with generosity and contentment, but now he found himself discontented. He became obsessed with this thought, I must have a diamond mine. I must have the riches that come from a diamond mine. So the farmer, he sold his beautiful farm and he began this passionate pursuit of riches that would bring his family to, to great wealth, bring his legacy great wealth. So he searched from country to country. He left his family with the neighbors. He sold his farm and he went to here and he went to there searching for these diamonds. Finally, standing in rags in Spain by the Sea of Barcelona, he jumped in and he drowned himself and he died. He died. But the man who purchased that original farm, he was digging in that garden that had been left and he found something, a massive diamond, a massive diamond. So he continued digging and to his amazement, there were diamonds everywhere. There, thus, the diamond mine of Kalkanda was discovered, was the largest diamond mine up to the 21st century a few years ago. This was in 1870, by the way. That that man, had he had stayed at that house and have stayed at that farm that God had gave him, he would have found the richest and most wealthiest diamonds in the world. For decades, every shovel filled with gems that would decorate the crowns of royalty on this earth. The point I'm making is, had that farmer who owned that land originally been content with what God had given him and stayed at home and dug in his own garden, rather than submit to this get-rich-quick scheme, we do it in the church, call now and you'll get this holy water from Lebanon. This will cure you. I just read an article where one of those television preachers, they literally are getting in trouble because they said they got the cure for coronavirus. 
And you call this, this get-rich-quick fever that tries to disrupt us and tries to overwhelm us when what it takes is dedication, faithfulness, persistence, and hard work. That's what changes the equation. And the point I'm making simply is this. Had the one who owned that land originally, had he been contented and stayed home and dug in his own garden rather than submit to this fever, he would have discovered that God had given him more than he ever could have dreamed or imagined right under his feet. What I'm saying to you today is God has already given you everything you need. It's at your fingertips. It's in your heart. It's in your life. You don't need the right people to like you. You need God's people to like you. You need to realize before people like you, you've got to like yourself. You've got to realize it's already on the inside of you. Everything you need, God has already has it for you. The miracle is in your house. The miracle God's put inside of you eternity, that miracle is in your house. It's with your children. The miracle's in our church. You don't have to find it for other churches, this church, that church. They have this. We don't have that. Oh, the grass is greener over there. Yeah, because there's more manure over there. You need to find the miracles where God has planted you. It's in your house. It's with your kids. It's in your church. The miracle is in your business. What's God's calling you to do? If he's called you to do it, he's giving you access to it. But some of you, because you just come and go in life, you think it's over here, the pot of rainbow. You think the relationship's over here. That's why you just keep sleeping around with that person and keep messing around with that person. You think, oh, this church has it over there. They come over there. They got glory night. They got tabernacle night. Oh, they got this. They got that. And what you need to realize is what you're searching for is right here. Start thinking yourself differently. You will live differently. What you're searching for is right inside of you. You see, I'm being dramatic, but I think you get the point. Because the mind of a winner always finds a way to ignite hope. Can I go a little deeper for the next few moments we have together? Two of you said yes, but the rest of you are going to be held hostage. But what you need to realize is God says you have the mind of Christ when you find the way to serve. When you find a way to ignite hope. Igniting hope is not a campaign that we started. Igniting hope is the DNA and the foundation of Oasis Church. Oasis Church's culture is founded on these principles. You find Jesus, no matter what walk of life you are, no matter what background you are, you come here, you find the Lord Jesus. And in that, you discover that you have freedom in the Lord. And you discover in that freedom, you have something to contribute, something to do. You have purpose. And in that purpose, you turn it around and you start igniting hope. You ignite hope by getting involved, getting involved in the church, getting involved in places to go, igniting hope everywhere you go, because that's who you are. That's who I am. I'm a person that I ignite hope everywhere I go. We're living that way. We're to be that way as Christians. We're to live our lives igniting hope in other people. Last week, I was at the uh, gas station, and I like a particular gas station that I go to because Jennifer doesn't let me drink soda pop at home, and so I have a particular gas station that I go to, and so I get, I get my diet soda. Now, don't send me letters that you shouldn't drink diet soda, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I get my diet Coke, and this particular gas station that I go, they have the crushed anointed ice. <laughs> and so the crushed anointed ice, I get my 44-ounce big man cup. I know it's not cool to think about, but it's how I roll. 
So I get my cup, you know, because I can't drink that stuff at home. She doesn't allow it in the house. And so I get my cup. Some of you do the opposite with your whiskey. You need to stop that. So I get my, I, your little gin goblet or whatever you call it. And I get my, I don't even know why I thought that. Because some of you have them on you right now. Oh, my God. Holy Spirit, tell me. Where are they? Oh, I can see you. I have to f- design this. Anyway, I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. So I, I get my crushed ice, and I see over, over as I'm getting my, my drink, I see a mom, a single mom, and her five kids, and they're getting ices there because it was a hot day last week. It was getting hotter. And so I decided I was going to ignite hope. I was going to buy those ices for, for that mom and those kids. And I, but I thought to myself, Lord, I don't want to make a spectacle of it. I don't want to say, I am the man of God, and I am buying these drinks. And so I thought to myself, Lord, let me hurry up and get my drinks. Let me get in line in front of them so I can just add it to it and not make it a big deal. I can just bless mom. I can bless the kids. And I can pay for my anointed crushed ice drink. And then I can go on my way and get in my truck and go home. And so I'm doing that. And so help me to the Lord. I get in line and the kids are all behind me. And so I pay for my drink. And I say, I want to pay for the, uh, the drinks of those kids and mom behind me. And I, I can hear the mom go, oh, my gosh, that man's paying for the drinks, for your drinks. Thank Thank him, thank him. And they're like, I can't believe anybody would do this. And the lady behind the counter, she was a little older. She goes, you are so nice. Look at your smile. And then the older lady behind her, she was even older than the first lady. She says, and you're handsome. <laughs> and then they started looking me up and down. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not confidence. But what it is, is we, it was igniting hope in the people that were there. And so I'm, I'm getting my drink, and the, and the mom comes and says, thanks, thanks you and everything. But I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ignite hope and go, now you need to know thy Romans road. Romans 10, thou nine says, if I confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall enjoy thy ices. I didn't do that at all. Oh, that kind of hurt. <laughs> But what I did, I paid for their drinks. I blessed them. I said, God bless you. And I got in my truck and I can hear the mom calling somebody on the phone and said, you'll never believe this. Somebody just paid for me and the kids all the drink. That's so nice. And she said, quote, that doesn't happen in Stockton. My point is, it does happen in Stockton if you and I will renew our minds and start igniting hope. And I want you to think about how you can be a spiritual person. Spirituality is not always quoting the Bible. It's not always leading people to Christ. Your life is a representation of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us something amazing here. In the last days, which is right now. How many of you know we're in the last days? We're in the last days. I can prove it scripturally, but I don't have enough minutes. But I can prove it that we're on the sixth day of creation. On the seventh day is the rapture, and that's the millennial reign. But I can prove that in scripture. If you wanted to go deep, I can go deep down, deep down on it. But I want you to know the Bible says in the last days that men and women would be lovers of their own selves. And that spirit of self-love has invaded the church. That spirit of somebody else has got to do it. Somebody else has got to serve. Somebody else has got to help. Somebody else has got to pay. Somebody else has got to sing. Somebody else has got to do it rather than me. Somebody else has to do it. And that spirit of self-love has creeped into the church and not lives to the church's potential. 
So I say this to you. The Bible tells us something amazing in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 1. Listen closely as we close. The Bible says that we that are strong and spiritually strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. When we read that fat passage of scripture, we often think, well, maybe it's the people who, you know, they, they can't get enough food and they can't, they can't have this thing and we gotta give them clothes. And those are surface level things that we're to do as a church. We're, the government, it shouldn't be feeding and clothing everybody. That's the church's job. But what happens is the church doesn't do their job, so government has to step in. The government that can give you everything will take away everything. God says, I give you these gifts without repentance, but now you're to be a good steward and you're to double up what I give you. So now you're to take five and it's becoming 10. Two is to become four. You're no longer to bury what I've given you in the ground. You who are spiritual now, you're to bear the infirmities of the weak. So can I go a little deeper with that thought? Because the weak are not people who, who can't fend for themselves. The weak in the Greek languages means people that, that think differently than you, that act differently than you. Really, if we're going to translate it properly, I want you all to look at me. People that irritate you. How many of you have people that irritate you? Don't raise your hands. You might be sitting by them. But all of us have people that kind of rub us the wrong way. And the scriptures are clear. We who are spiritual, not religious, not church-going religious people. We who are spiritual, we're the bear the infirmities of those who irritate us, those in this world who kind of rub us the wrong way. So we're not to divide them, we're to unite them and bring them to a place of peace and a place of grace. How many of you know we can have people in our lives that can rub us the wrong way? Our strength is not measured by, in the kingdom of God by what we believe. You have to realize that. I do often these statements. If you're here today and you're a believer, give me a round of applause. And everybody, because you're in church, this is not a bar. This is not Randy's Rodeo. This is not Coe's down on 99. This is the house of God. So if you're coming here, you obviously have some form of faith that there is a God. He's in heaven and there's something to believe in. So all of us would be believers in this room. So our spiritual strength is not what we believe in the kingdom of God. You know how it's measured? I hate to even tell you this. I hate to even tell you it. I don't even want to tell you it, but I have to because I love you and I have to tell you. It's not measured by what we believe. Our strength is measured this way. Our spiritual strength is measured by what we obey. It's measured that way. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience brings the blessing. Disobedience brings the curse. So what happens in our modern society? People, they, they have self-love. They want to do it themselves. So they don't listen to spiritual authority. They don't listen to the pastor. They don't listen to what the man of God, the woman of God says. They listen to other yuck-yucks. They listen to other people. They don't listen to what the authority of the government says because they don't like this political candidate and they don't like this political candidate. So they don't listen to civil law because they don't think it applies to them. And the scriptures are clear. You are not measured in your spirituality by what you believe. You're measured by what you obey. The Bible says demons believe and they tremble. So if all you and I do is believe without obeying, we have the same profile as a devil. Because they believe, they just don't obey. That's why you and I have strength to be measured, calculable, measurable. It's by what we obey. What is it today that God's saying, I want you to do? The rich young ruler was the one who came to Christ and said, I, I wanna be a part of the kingdom. And Jesus said, great, fantastic. 
Go sell all you have and give it away to the poor. And the Bible says he didn't obey that. He went away exceedingly sorrowful because he had great wealth. He found that that cost of discipleship was a little too high for the price that he wanted to pay. And he said, no. Many people want more of God, but they're not willing to lay down their life. They're not willing to let go and to renew their mind. See, that's work. That's your job. That's not God's job. Your job is to listen and obey and do what the word says. If you're willing to do it, God says, I'm willing to equip. I'm willing to help. When you really find the spirit of Christ, listen, you'll find a way to ignite hope, which in turn finds a way to serve. You won't find yourself coming and going in life. One of the greatest struggles I have as a pastor in this city, I don't know about others, but what I have, I've been here a lot of years, too many people coming and going. Thousands of people since 2010, multiplied thousands coming and going. We love you, but, we love you, but, we love you, but, we love what you say, but. I just got a, a letter from a guy. We, I, everything you said was so inspirational. Joey, everything you did, and now he's in prison. If you're so inspirational, if everything I said was music to your ears, you should have obeyed and listened. What's the point? Homes, families, marriages, they need to start listening and obeying. You need to start listening and obeying. I'm not saying that in any like, ah, but I'm saying that you have to realize God's not going to force you. You have to be willing to do it with joy. When you really find the spirit of Christ, you find a way to serve with joy and you serve without pomposity, without arrogance, but what I call sweet humility that the body of Christ may be blessed by what you bring by your presence. That's the mind of a winner. Some of you have never heard this that way before, but that's the mind of a winner. That's in the word of God. God sent his son on the cross to die and shed his blood so all of us can be champions for Christ, but all of us have to obey what he says.